morning. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I've been given two verses to preach on, so if the length of the sermon is according to the number of verses, I've never been criticized for preaching a short message. Ephesians chapter 3. But uh, before we get to those two verses, we have to read what precedes it because we have to put it in context, really, because it's at the end of a, a prayer. We'll start reading in Ephesians 3, verse 14. Our two verses are 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul speaking. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Two verses, but a lot is said about which those refer, uh, verses refer, you know, the Lord to him, to him. Paul had a prayer, and I always like to study the prayers uh, that we find in the Scriptures. It helps me to know how to pray, although oftentimes the prayers are very lofty like this one, <laughs> very lofty. That he would grant you according to, his, uh, to the riches of his glory. How rich are his, is his glory? There's no end to that. To be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Being rooted and grounded in love, able to comprehend with all the saints what's the, what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth to know the love of Christ. You know, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? <laughs> to know the love of Christ. To sound the depths of love. We do that when we worship the Lord. And there's no end to the theme, is there? There'll be no end to the theme for all eternity. And we need to do nothing more than to gaze at the cross at Calvary. And remember his love for us. But you know, his love for us is developed throughout our lives, at least our comprehension of it. The more experiences we go through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we realize how much he really does love us and care for us. It's oftentimes easy through circumstances to get our eyes off the fact that he loves us, off the fact that he knows what he's doing, off the fact that whatever he sends our way, it's through love that he allows it to come our way. You know, but oftentimes in life, the older you get, Howard, <laughs> the more you, uh, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> the more circumstances that you go through that are oftentimes difficult to understand and comprehend. Sometimes we find ourselves going through things that we never had imagined that we'd go through. Whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a husband or a wife, 
whether it's through sickness or health. There are things that have come across our path that we didn't expect. And how we respond to those things oftentimes speaks of our understanding, our comprehension of the love of Christ. I want to ask you this morning, it says right here, it says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What does that, what does that speak to you of, being filled up to all the fullness of God? To me, it speaks of being satisfied to the full in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and so it's going to be difficult for you to understand what I'm talking about. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have an inkling of what I'm speaking of, being full, filled up, satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of distractions to that, you know. A lot of distractions that really test us and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's someone here who's a little bit disappointed with how life has ended up for them or how life is proceeding. Perhaps they found themselves in a place that they never thought they'd find themselves. In whatever area, whether it's in relationships, whether it's through broken relationships, whether it's through disappointments, through those that, um, those that we love are going through, we didn't quite expect things to turn out this way or for, for me to be at this place in my life at this time. And, and I'm reminded that God loves us. God loves you and God loves me. You know, um, when I drive my car, it goes where I want it to go normally. And, you know, we, I think we approach life sometimes like driving a car. We're heading in a certain direction. We have a certain idea how we're going to get there and how we want things to go. It doesn't take too long in life to realize I'm not driving. Have you ever felt that way? I'm not driving. Things happen to us that we had no control over. I was recently going, went through an experience where I realized, you know, as a parent, you've, you know, taken care of your kids since they were small, protected them, provided for them, together as a husband and wife team. And as they get older, I can remember when Heidi had a diagnosis of having a, uh, a tumor on her spine or in the, the coating of her spine. And we were facing that. And I realized then, and I've realized afresh, there are certain things that I have no resources to cover. <laughs> you know? There's things I can do nothing about. It's like I'm in the passenger seat. And I'm just going along, and there's nothing I can do but observe. And oftentimes watch what God will do. But the great question is, what am I like in that passenger seat? What am I like? I remember driving with a person that was a little bit nervous about driving or riding in the passenger seat. And uh, you'd be driving along and all of a sudden, <gasps> like that. And I mean, it almost scare you into an accident. You know, something that you foresaw, something that you already had planned for. But that person didn't realize it. And the reaction was one of fear, surprise, dismay. You know, watch out. 
And sometimes I think I'm like that with the Lord. Are you like that sometimes? You're cruising through life, you're in the passenger seat, and all of a sudden, ah, you know. The Lord has it under control. He knows what He's doing. And when we're filled up to the full, we trust Him. And it should show in our lives. Right? It should show in our lives. And you know, if I'm fretting in my life, you'll know that I'm not experiencing this. You can see, you can watch somebody's life from the outside, and you can see how things are going oftentimes by how they're responding as they're driving down the road or as the Lord's taking them down the road. You remember Peter, let's turn to John 21. Peter, something was said about Peter that speaks of this in John 21. Eighteen and nine. Well, eighteen and nineteen. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, "Follow me." Or Jesus was speaking to Peter. And he's speaking about the future, that he was going to be a passenger in the car. Someone else is going to be driving. And he wasn't going to want to go there. But in going there and trusting the Lord, he would glorify the Lord. And you know, the Lord gives strength for, strength for those times, filled with the full, filled to the full, filled to the full. So what resources do we have as we're in the passenger seat? It says in um, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, Paul speaks um, before this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of, of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Resurrection power. Have you ever thought of anything more powerful than resurrection power? Or have you ever considered resurrection power? We think of the power of, that's displayed just in holding an atom together. You release a little bit of that power and it's a lot of power. You know, we think of um, countries that want to be nuclear powers, develop a nuclear bomb. It's because it represents power. Think of the power that holds all the atoms together in the universe. Power we can't comprehend. And yet the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is even more powerful than that. That's the power available to us, God says, to keep our souls calm and trusting him through difficult times. In that passenger seat, nothing can touch us unless he approves of it through love. Resurrection power. You know, I want to talk about that a little bit because I found that we have a power that oftentimes we don't realize. And what do we do with that power? Um, sometimes we feel like we don't have the power. And it's because we're not tapping into it. We're not recognizing the verse and um, drawing near to God for the power to overcome. I wonder what things there are that we need to overcome in our lives. I, um, I mean, it could be momentary. It could be something that's long-term. It could be a long-term trial. 
Um, and they come, especially as parents. Uh, I, little trials, little things. Uh, I, Corey moved out yesterday. <laughs> you know, and I knew she was planning on moving out. She lived with us for over a year, come back home, and I'm thinking, well, what does she need to move out for? <laughs> but she wanted to move out, and, uh, and so we helped her. And I, it had an unusual um, reaction in, in my heart. I was sad. And, I mean, she's not moving far, but I was sad. And um, I didn't quite know what it was at first, but it just sort of hit me. And then um, after that, Sandra had a, um, a bird. And some of you then been over our house. We have uh, birds, and she raises fish, but she has this canary that sings beautifully. And that's sort of like a family pet, Tweety. And she would always put it out in the front yard or the backyard in the cage. And so you'd always see it sitting there. You'd think somebody would steal it, but nobody would steal it. Sang beautifully. We'd bring it in the front porch. We'd be eating lunch or dinner, and the bird would be singing. And we'd oftentimes leave it in the backyard and then bring it in, or bring it in at night, and then we'd put a cover over it. Well, just a couple of nights ago, it was in the backyard, and um, Santa said, can you cover the birdcage? I said, sure. And uh, I covered the birdcage, and this thought entered my mind, thinking, what if a raccoon gets the bird? You know, because we've had raccoons in the, in the yard. Nah. I covered the bird up. Next day, I get a text from my wife. Tweety's dead. Yeah. Raccoon got the bird. And, you know, you never know what, you know, sometimes things that can affect you. And it just made me even sadder. <laughs> so between those two things, I was, I was going through what I normally don't go through. You know, emotional thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know I felt like I didn't have the power to overcome it but then I realized I, you know, as I was preparing for the message you know I do have the power to overcome that you know Christ gives us that power now that's, that's just a little example I mean this is nothing compared to some of the things that we go through in life you know I can name some that are a lot worse but I don't I, I don't uh, want to go there but the Lord gives us the strength and the power to go through these things to learn something about him and to still experience the joy of Christ. You see? And yet when other people see that in your life, they're going to say, you know what? Where do you get that from? And we can say, no, it's not me. To him be the glory. Right? To him be the glory. He could do abundantly and exceedingly all that we can ever think or ask. So even things we don't even understand, like me, I don't understand emotions all that much. <laughs> So when I go through it, it really throws me for a loop. Like, what's going on? You know, and Santa was like, something, you okay? <laughs> I, it took me a little while to figure it out. So the Lord has given us what it takes to make it through these difficulties. But I want to concentrate on not just getting through the difficulties, but how are we getting through it? How are we getting through it? I'm reminded of the nation of Israel when they were in Egypt. And God sent the ten plagues, Right? And the last plague was going to be the death of the firstborn of everyone, every family. They didn't have the blood on the door, on the doorpost and the lintel, right? And they were eaten, they were to sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb, unblemished, blemished, and eat the, of the lamb. And so they were given instructions. Listen, if you want the angel of death to pass over this house, this is what you do. So I remember one, one time uh, someone compared two, two families where one family... The people were eating of the Passover lamb 
And they were just so fearful and fretting. And yet another family were not fearful, not fretting. Anyone, what was the two difference between the two? Did the angel of death enter either one of those houses? No. Why? Because they obeyed God. They believed God and obeyed. But one, did, one family did it with fretting and fear. The other, no. Peace, joy, patience. And that reminds me of how my life can be as a Christian. When I go through difficulties, through challenging times, perhaps in my relationship with family members, perhaps in, um, at work, perhaps through health issues, whatever, how am I going through it? Am I going through it fretting, fearing? Am I, I, speaking to myself, am I going through it complaining? <laughs> that really speaks to whether I'm glorifying God or not, right? To God be the glory. It means that I trust Him. He knows what He's doing. And I can experience the joy of Christ through the greatest difficulty. Others have done it. Why? Because they have it available to them the same thing I have available to me, the power of God, resurrection power. I just have to keep my eyes on Him. You might wonder, you know, I remember the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I just two things. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's placed in the form of questions. And the question number one on it is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here? That's a good question, isn't it? And they, they answer the question. Man's chief end is to glorify God. And here's the part I like. And to enjoy Him forever. <laughs> to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I wonder, because the verse talks about to him be the glory. So I want to talk about glorifying God. What glorifies God? What's your idea of glorifying God? You know? Um, I think it's important that we have the right idea of what glorifies God. I mean, give, the scripture says, give glory to God. Well, how can I give glory to God? Here he has all the glory. <laughs> what does that mean to give glory to God? It really means ascribe to him glory. Recognizing his glory. And uh, worshiping him for his glory. I, I, was, I, got up, I get up a lot in the middle of the night. And one thing I love to do is go to the refrigerator. And my wife loves fruit. She also loves fruit juice. So last night what I found in there was a half gallon of, you know the orange juice you get in a carton? There's two kinds. There's concentrate and then there's like not concentrate. That stuff's really good. <laughs> I shake it up. Three ounces is all it takes. And I take, a, I take a, just a drink and I savor that drink. You know, because you, you get up in the middle of the night, like, you know, all your senses, like, I'm wide awake. So when I drink, then I'm going, wow, God sure makes great candy. We call it fruit, but it's God's candy, right? It, it's wonderful. And I'm thinking, isn't he wonderful? I was glorifying God in my heart. <laughs> and so many times we take it for granted. You know, how many times have I drank a glass of juice and gulped it down? Not last night, I was savoring it. Matter of fact, it was so good, I got up two more times. <laughs> Glorifying God is not an undesirable, unpleasurable experience. You know, we enjoy God when we glorify Him. And oftentimes we forget that experience because we're distracted perhaps by difficulties. Perhaps we're going down a road we really don't want to go down. But that shouldn't matter. 
If he's going to get the glory, that means we trust where he's driving. That means wherever he's going, we trust him. And we see what he has in it for us. And sometimes it's not what we expect. It says in Revelation, oh, question number two. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And I like this answer. The answer, the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. What it's saying is that if we want to glorify God, it has to be in accordance with the Word of God. We can't just go off on our own. I mean, there are some people in some religions of the world that they feel that if they kill people that don't believe like they believe, they're glorifying God. Could that be true? No, because it's not according to the Word of God. So to glorify God, we have to act according to the Word of God. And if we're not, if we're going by opinion, if we're going by what we were raised doing, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it doesn't glorify God. So that's very important. Very important that we know the Word of God, that we might glorify Him. That we know the Word of God, that we might enjoy Him. How else do we know that God is a God of love? God is a God of mercy. God is a God of compassion. God is a God that forgives us. It's through the Word of God. That's how we know. And that gives us peace. It says in Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. First of all, he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy, right, to receive glory. In other words, for us to ascribe him glory. Can you think of anyone that's more worthy? God himself can't. You see that in Revelation when he's given the book of the seals or the scroll of the seals to break. He was the only one found worthy. But it's interesting it says that we are and were created for what reason? For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Okay. You and I were, were created for his good pleasure. And you might think, wow, that doesn't sound too good. Until you see the other side of it. It says in Psalm 16, 5 through 11, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. In thy presence... Is fullness of joy, and in thy right hand there are pleasures forever. So we were created for God's pleasure. Interesting thing is that He created us in such a way that drawing near to Him gives us the greatest pleasure. The pleasure goes both ways. You want to have pleasure, real, true, lasting pleasure? Come to God through Jesus Christ. Draw near to Him daily. Be in touch with him. There is joy there. And guess what? If you're walking like that, your face is going to reveal it. People are going to see that. It's going to be written all over your face. It's going to be written all over your life. There's going to be some joy in your life that can't help but just shine forth. You know, and, and, and I've heard things that are disturbing because they're disheartening, not for me, but for that individual, anybody might be listening, you know? I see Christians that are open about their testimony, but sometimes they seem like the, the saddest, most grieved person there is, and it's all over their face. 
You know? When you hear somebody that says, oh, I'm calloused. Is that good? <laughs> it doesn't sound good to me. That's not, that's not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That's being far from Him. You know? How does your life reflect your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it one of joy? And I know there's some serious difficulties people go through. I'm not saying that, I'm not making light of those difficulties. What I'm saying is the love of Christ is bigger. And it should give you that peace and joy if you're walking close with Him. You can read it in someone's face. You know, it's interesting. Um, Bill McDonald, I think speaking of faces, you'll see where I'm going in a minute. Um, Bill McDonald loves dogs. You know what he thought about dogs? He thought God created dogs to teach us to worship. People that know Bill probably heard that a few times. Yeah. It makes you think, doesn't it? Dogs only want two things. Did you know that? Dogs want to know what their masters want, and they want to do it. They just want two things. They want to know what their masters want, and they want to do it. Anybody that has a dog, I mean, there's two kinds of dogs. There's a dog that knows what his masters want and a dog that doesn't. One's trained, one's not. I learned that when I took our dogs to obedience school. But that dog really wants to do what you want him to do. He just doesn't know what you want. You haven't trained him. You know? Once you train him, that's what the dog's going to want to do. Yeah. It's interesting because recently they found out that dogs can read emotions in human faces. Now, you that have a dog, you probably already know that, but now the scientists have discovered it. <laughs> dogs are the only animals can read emotions in the face much like humans do. They're the only animals. Cementing their position as man's best friends, claim scientists. And then you hear these things. Dogs have a sense of right and wrong. you believe that? I mean, you've got to take it with a grain of salt, but when you look at that dog and he's done something wrong, he looks at your face, he knows he's done something wrong, because why? Head goes down, sort of looks like in a whimper, and he sort of scurries off hiding somewhere, right? Just takes a look, that's all it takes. Dogs may be able to read their owner's mind like that, and the dog knows, I mean, if it's a dog that's, you know, well-trained, and, you, you know, he'll be able to read your mind to a certain point. Dogs display aspects of human intelligence. You know, doesn't that seem true? I mean, if you have a dog and you interact a lot with the dog, you know what I'm talking about. Research findings suggest that like an understanding best friend, they could see at a glance if we're happy, sad, pleased, or angry. They know, they study, they watch you. I mean, we have poodles. They're pretty smart dogs, but there are plenty of smart dogs besides poodles. But you start looking at them weird and they're like this and... You know, they know you're looking at them. They know you're messing with them is what they do. <laughs> my son, my older son, likes to mess with our dogs. <laughs> he can get them going. But uh, they know when you're happy. They know when you're sad. Um, when humans look at a new face, their eyes tend to wander left. Okay? Falling on the right side of the person's face first. So when we look at another human face, the tendency is for us to wander to the left, which looks at their right side. And you didn't know this, I didn't know this, but people are more expressive on the right side of their face. You could read their emotions more on the right side than the left. Okay? This left gaze bias only occurs when we encounter faces and does not 
apply at any other time, such as when inspecting animals or inanimate objects. Okay, there's that, not that tendency. Okay, a possible reason for the tendency is that the right side of the human face is better expressing emotional state. Researchers at the University of Lincoln have now shown that pet dogs also exhibit left gaze bias, but only when looking at human faces. No other animal has been known to display this behavior before. Just dogs. So it sort of explains a little bit about them being able to see when you're happy or when you're sad, right? <laughs> dogs. Yeah, they teach us a lot, don't they? You know, people read your face. People that know you're a Christian, they read your face. Are you happy? Or are you sad? Are you satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is always there's something off? It's important. That's important. So on the one hand, we're like dogs. On the other hand, we're not. I think of of children. Um... We don't oftentimes concentrate on looking at others. We concentrate on, look at me. You know, I, I remember as a kid, I used to say that. I see kids, look at me, look at me, look at me. Watch me, watch me, watch this, watch this. They want that attention. They want us to look at them. Maybe some new achievement. You know, they ride their bike for the first time. You know, that's big for them. Look at me, look at me. You know, as adults, we can do that. You know, you know what, that's, what, what that is? That's seeking the glory. That's seeking glory. I remember a couple of times in my life I had to learn the hard way. Um, one time when I was conned, I think I told that story before, and it wasn't until I was reaching for the glory that I succumbed and got ripped off. <laughs> Another time was in Brazil when we were going down with a young people, a group of young people at a, a ranch, and... Um, I stayed with my wife to help with the kids. A group of young people went down and a 21-year-old girl drowned. And they came running up to get me. Well, I knew it took about 15 minutes to get up from down the swimming hole. So by the time they got up to me seeing that she drowned, she's underwater, they can't find her. I'm thinking, 15 minutes, she's dead, right? But I run down there. And on the way down, I sprang my leg, or my, my ankle. And I, I took a roll, but I just kept running, and the thing swelled up the size of a grapefruit. And when I got there, about 30 people were all around the swimming hole. And they just, you know, they watched her drown. You can't see, you know, in Brazil, the rivers mostly are dirty, so you couldn't see underneath the water. So I said, how many people know how to swim? About five or six people raised their hand. They knew how to swim really well. I said, okay, let's, let's find her. Oh, no, we're not going in there. Why not? Well, there might be an underground well that sucks you under. Really? Yeah. Okay, so now you're putting the fear in me, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm new in the country at that time. So I said, well, you guys search around just the perimeter. You know, stay close to the edge, and I'll make some passes back and forth. So I'm about my third pass back and forth. I'm going up and down, and I'm just flailing my arms and legs to cover as much area as I could to try to locate her. And finally, I hit something, and then I opened my eyes, and I could see her floating there. So I grabbed her, and I give mouth to mouth as I'm pulling her to the side, right? And I'm thinking to myself, on one side I'm thinking, well, this is useless giving her mouth to mouth. She's dead, right? But the water was cold. I'm thinking, God, I could do a miracle, right? And then at, at there's that split second. And if you're, if you're honest and sincere and you, re, and you look at yourself and your thoughts, 
don't know if you've ever done that, but I find a lot to accuse in my thoughts. And it, and it was like right, there was a split moment. I said, God could do a miracle. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then right then, it was almost God said, yeah, who's looking for the glory here? And that's when I knew it's not going to happen. Because if it happened, I'd probably just try to steal the glory. You know? She died. And God could have done a miracle. You know, he's able to do much more than we can think or ask, right? Nothing for him to raise the dead. But who's going to get the glory? You know, I wonder how many blessings we miss out on because we would like sort of steal the glory. <laughs> steal the thunder, we have that uh, expression. Right? Look at me, look at me. You know, there's different ways to try to steal the glory. Um, and there's different ways in which we, we do. You know, maybe we, we, uh, we go through an experience. Maybe it's our kids. I mean, we can boast about our kids, you know that? Look at my kids. Look at what they're doing. That's another way of looking at me, right? Oh, yeah. You know, my kid arrived at this or that or the other thing. That's another way of stealing the glory. How, do, how are we living? Are we living to glorify God? I can remember one time meeting this man, and uh, he arrived from being an office boy. I think he arrived at being the vice president. I don't know if it's the senior vice president, vice president of Southern Pacific Railroad. And I got to know him through Bill McDonald, spent some time at his house speaking with him. And he, um, he explained how his life went. I had a lot of questions about him. And he always made sure that wherever they sent him, he would find a brethren assembly and get involved. That's admirable, isn't it? Sure it is. But you know, as a young Christian, I always put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> I asked him, and I said, I said, did you ever regret, you know, not putting God first and the career second? You know? And all of a sudden, there was silence at the table. And he said, you know, oftentimes I have. I thought, well, that's an honest answer. You see, there's two ways of looking at serving the Lord. And you've got to have to ask yourself, which glorifies the Lord more? There's the idea that, you know, I have a career and I'm going to go where they send me, and wherever I go, I'm going to seek to serve the Lord. Not many people would fault you for that. But there's other people who say, you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord first. And the Lord will provide a career wherever I'm serving the Lord. Those are a two different order of things. And there are people in our midst that have given up careers to serve the Lord. That's glorifying God. That is. And... Uh, the nice thing about glorifying God or not glorifying God is God oftentimes gives us another chance. <laughs> you know? There are a lot of mistakes I've made in my life, but every new day, every new year is an opportunity to say, okay, Eric, starting from here, what are you going to do? Starting from here. Forget the past. Starting from here, what are you going to do? And we have an opportunity every day to whether we're going to glorify the Lord or not whether we're going to make that a priority in our life. And we have to realize that's what we were created for. And that's what really gives us true and lasting pleasure, glorifying God. That might mean stepping outside of our comfort zone. Oftentimes it does. Oftentimes it does. So what will you have? Glorifying God or staying in your comfort zone and passing up the opportunity? Yeah. Glorifying God means putting others first. Not me first. 
That means sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't always easy. I think of the Apostle Paul. Um, it says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? For if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. This is what he went through. Just part of, I'm sure it's just a partial list. And rather than feel sorry for himself, he says in Ephesians 3.13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. He was concerned about, others were feeling about what he was going through. <laughs> he didn't feel sorry for himself. Matter of fact, if somebody was sad for him, he didn't want them to be sad for him. Why? Because he was glorifying God. And that's where he wanted to be. You know? And, and I don't presume to know all the difficulties that you go through in your life. I, I, there's no way I could know that. I go through difficulties I don't even expect from one day to the next. Nothing compared to this. And maybe nothing compared to yours. But God knows what your difficulties are. And He promises you the strength to make it through if you just keep your eyes fixed on Him. And I'd like to challenge myself and you along with me. Make a priority of glorifying God in your daily experience. How you react to things is either going to glorify God or not. You know, it really spoke to me when I went, you know, I had a blood draw probably about three weeks ago. And there was something in the office that made me think. And it speaks to me about this glorifying God through difficult times. Maybe, Luke, you could show it up on the screen. Maybe you've read it before. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And that speak about glorifying God. Storms in life, they come. And they will come. They do come. How do people see? Or what do people see as we seek to weather the storm? We're going to make it through the storm. God will make sure of that. But how do we make it through the storm? Dancing in the rain? Or hunkering down? complaining about how cold and wet it is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do remember your great love for us. Lord, how infinite it is we take great pleasure in sounding the depths of God's love. And yet so oftentimes we lose sight of it through difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is going through circumstances that are difficult painful, trying. I pray that you would help them to see that they didn't catch you by surprise, that you allowed it, Lord, that it might be uh, for their good, and that they have an opportunity to glorify you by how they go through it and draw near to you. 
Lord, that the nearness of God might be indeed a pleasure to them, even in the midst of sorrow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.